So you listeners out there should know that Nick and I really struggled with this idea of having some sort of election special here on Where There's Smoke. Actually, in many ways, we preferred to avoid it just because we felt like it all might be too contentious. We didn't want to create something that would ultimately turn people away or create a false sense of us versus them. Remember, the unofficial slogan of our show is, we're all in this together. And that's all true. But the more we thought about it, we remembered that the whole premise of Where There's Smoke is to take pop culture and current events and wrap it up into a conversation about self-development. And here's the thing. This election is crazy. Now, a lot of them are crazy. That's true. This isn't anything new. But we weren't here four years ago. We weren't making this podcast. Exactly. And also, you know, just being two people who really care about what's going on, it got to the point where... It felt inauthentic and even irresponsible of us to say nothing. Yeah, so to completely ignore it would have also felt weird. So today, we're going to take a step back and talk about some of the things that we're seeing. And maybe we'll talk about some of these issues in more detail in the future. But this episode is just sort of a grab bag of ideas and actions for us to think about in the next few weeks. And we hope that each of these observations have some value to you outside of the election, and that there are ideas in here that apply to your everyday lives. And I think that is definitely true, Nick. And also, you know, we don't want this to be sad or painful no. or miserable. And because, well, really truthfully, I just really need to cheer Nick up. That is very true, Brett. <laughs> so, so our goal is to keep this election special positive and relatively light. All right. So if, if we're going to do this, Brett, then maybe we should put like a disclaimer at the front of the episode so that we can feel free to express our personal opinions. Yeah. Good thinking. Where There's Smoke is not endorsing any candidate in today's episode. Any statement by Brett and Nick related to their political preference does not reflect on Where There's Smoke or its subsidiaries. Additionally, any comments made about specific behaviors of candidates or citizens is not attended to shame or judgment. We don't know you. We're sure you're really nice and cool. Just remember, Where There's Smoke is about asking honest questions of ourselves. We're not here to be jerks or add to this overly politicized climate. We've got your back. Welcome to the Where There's Smoke election special, Decency Now 2016. Our crack team of explorers are bringing you the latest election-related self-development ideas straight from the Where There's Smoke election desk. Our goal is to just make sense of this crazy 2016 election and find opportunities to simply ask some questions. I'm Nick Jaworski in the WTS control booth, and sitting in our state-of-the-art election center is Brett Guida. Brett? 70 years ago, U.S. President Harry S. Truman had a plaque on his desk that read, The buck stops here. The phrase referred to the notion that the president has to make decisions and accept that the ultimate responsibility for those decisions lies with him. There is no one or nowhere else to deflect. Now, I don't know what happened over the last 70 years, but I imagine it's like a cultural version of the telephone game. Now for Operation Strike Make a Longer. You know, I heard Skinner say the teachers will crack any minute. You remember that kid's game where the first person whispers a phrase into the ear of the person sitting or standing to their right, and then the next person does the same, and it keeps going until you get to the last person in the line or circle. Skinner said the teachers will crack any minute, purple monkey dishwasher. This version of the telephone game started 70 years ago as Truman leaned to his right and whispered, The buck stops here. Now, it seems that when it got to President Obama, 63 years later, it was still pretty close. Moreover, 
I am less interested in passing out blame than I am in learning from and correcting these mistakes to make us safer. For ultimately, the buck stops with me. Not bad, right? I mean, slightly changed, but the spirit is there. So let's check in with how it sounds now, within this current election cycle, seven more years later. You don't take responsibility for your actions, and that's why this is all your fault! Whoa, okay, okay, whoa, that's, uh, that's different. It, uh, it got a bit off track somewhere, it seems. Now, I don't know about you, but some days during this election cycle, it feels like this is all I am hearing. I mean, it is one thing to not answer a question. And unfortunately, that's been pretty common in politics over the years. It is another to, instead of answering a question, say what amounts to, uh, yeah, but what about what they did? Every day, and I do mean every day, people involved in these campaigns are asked very simple and direct questions, whether it be in an interview or debate. And instead of answering them, we get this. I know you are, but what am I? You're a nerd. I know you are, but what am I? You're an idiot. I know you are, but what am I? 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 Infinity. No, I'm not. You are. Now I'd like to say something like, what are we, eight years old? But the truth is, most of the eight-year-olds I know are taking more responsibility for their words and actions than a lot of people currently involved in this devolved version of discourse. Isn't this a discussion? This is our yeah. open discussion. Let's talk well, about this. Well, the state uh, let, of me, the world. let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you no. and finish my sentence if I can. Finish the Clinton Foundation accepted. The concept of responsibility can be simply defined by swapping the two halves of the word and saying that it is the ability to respond. The ability to act independently, make decisions without authorization, to be a person who causes something to happen. But it is not just that we can. It is also how and why we choose to act. Because responsibility is also defined and understood in relation to values. When we say it is our responsibility, we are saying we should do it because it is morally right, legally required, honest, and or aligned with our personal values. And that's all I'm really suggesting here, is that we be honest, take responsibility, and speak from I and our values. Now, there are hundreds of examples of this I've read or seen during this election cycle, but let's use this one. This clip features Laura Ingram who is an American radio talk show host and a Donald Trump supporter. People said, this, isn't, this man doesn't respect half of the people in the country. So d defend that as, as, his, as one of his staunchest defenders and a woman, defend that. Yeah. Well, I, first of all, the issues that I care about are the issues he brought forward, which is enforcing the border, building back the economy, and doing trade deals that actually make sense to the American worker. So I'm about those issues, but I'll tell you this. For every you know instance that you'll point to of Trump's uh, lack of, of respect for women, we actually have a president who was impeached and then protected by by her by uh, her his wife, and then of course Hillary Clinton goes after all these women who were you know appearing earlier in the. Uh, so within the context of responsibility, here's my question to Laura: Why not just say something like, "I can't defend it. I won't." but I choose to ignore it and I support him for president based on his position on the issues that I care about. I mean, that seems to me to be the honest answer. And I'd get that. I may not agree with it, 
but I'd respect it as her opinion based on her values, which she is entitled to. Laura Ingram bringing up Bill Clinton here is deflection. There is zero responsibility in saying what again amounts to, yeah, but what about what he did? And I am using Laura as an example, but this has been running rampant in conversations with members of all the political colors, red, blue, green, and libertarian. Whoa, can we just stop for a second and talk about how much I love those drapes? I mean, what color is that? Is that libertarian? And not only everyone on the news, us too. We hear it and we have likely been guilty of it in conversations we're having with each other in person and on social media. Personal responsibility is not about what anyone else did. Hillary Clinton could be crooked and it does not take away from what Trump has done or said. Donald Trump could be deplorable and it does not take away from what Clinton has done or said. All right, so let's say I kill someone but then Nick kills two people. I mean, whoa, that... whoa, whoa, Brett, I, I didn't kill nobody. Whoa, what? <laughs> Nick, Nick, I didn't kill anyone either. I'm trying to make a point. Can you get out of the edit here, please? Oh, 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 okay. So you're saying like, hypothetically, if I had killed two people, like that kind of thing? Yeah, hypothetically. I mean, why? Is there something I should know? Oh, um, no, 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 uh, nobody, nothing was murdered in the creation of this episode. Don't worry about it. Don't oh, ask questions. Oh, okay, okay. So clarified. All right. So can I can I get back to it? Yeah, please, please uh, do. Okay. All right. So as I was saying, let's say that I kill someone, and then Nick kills two people, which I didn't. No. <laughs> now I don't get set free because what he did may have been worse. How do you plead? I am guilty, Your Honor. I did it. Order, 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 order. I killed that person. But I think we need to be talking about what Nick did. I mean, that guy? You want to talk about someone who should be in jail? He killed two people. Oh, wow. Fair point. That is, that is worse. Okay. Well... Based on this new completely irrelevant fact about something in no way related to this case or the question I asked, case dismissed. You are free to go. That is not how responsibility works. And so in addition to asking our potential leaders and those involved in the campaigns to take ownership of what they have said or done or what they feel, we too must act responsible through this process especially because our voices are amplified like never before in history. And I sometimes wonder if you people realize the responsibility you carry. Your message reaches everyone, everywhere. Message? Though we are not employed as journalists, we are sharing news and opinions on social media. And many people would say that they get much of their news from social media, and I'd suggest much of their opinions. And so if we are passing along topical information, particularly to people we consider friends, then should we not have a responsibility to check our sources? If it's an opinion, make sure it's an educated one and one that you could and would stand behind if questioned on it. Otherwise said, don't let clickbait headlines and other people's spins on stories become your opinion. Make up your own mind, but only after you go to the source and check multiple sources, confirm facts, and form an opinion from that process. 
And if it's a news story, well, make sure it's true. Take a few moments to confirm that it is accurate. And if it is not, even if it serves our agenda and makes the point we want to make so well, who are we if we pass that on? What example would we be setting around responsibility? So elections are about choices. What does this person say they'll do for me? All right. What does this other person say they'll do for me? Got it. That's how this is supposed to work. However, that's not how it actually does work. And we all know that politicians from time to time are known to not tell us the whole truth. And look, I I get it. Sometimes they have to choose nebulous positions so that they have some wiggle room once they get elected. And I think that that can be okay. But I do want to share with you a central tenant of how I understand politicians and just people in the world. And it's this. If somebody has to lie to you to prove their point, then something is wrong, either with them or the idea itself. Does that make sense? If they can't persuade me to support their idea through the real truth or what they understand it to be, then I need to question why they're lying to me. Do they think I'm stupid? Do they think this is what I want to hear? Or is it that they have some other motive for what they're doing or there's some other byproduct of this idea that they know that I won't like? Either way, something is wrong. And I think it's important to ask, why is this person lying? Now look, I know that almost all politicians engage in some stretching of the truth. PolitiFact is a website run by the Tampa Bay Times that checks the accuracy of what politicians say. And over the years, they've investigated 595 claims from President Obama, and they have ranked 26% of those as mostly false, false, or the unflattering pants on fire. Which, by the way, in Obama's case, is 2% of his claims. That means that around 75% of what he says is anywhere from half true to true. Now, the Donald Trump campaign actually has a website. They own a website called lyingcrookedhillary.com. And if you look at Hillary Clinton's rating at PolitiFact, we see that 72% of what she has said is half true to true. So that's only a little bit worse than Obama's 75%. What about Donald Trump? He calls Hillary crooked Hillary Clinton. And of course, there is always lion Ted Cruz, lion Ted. But how does Donald Trump do when it comes to telling the truth? 29%. Just 29% of what he has said is listed on the PolitiFact scale as having been half true to true, which means that 71% of his claims, that the claims that Donald Trump makes, they are mostly false or worse. In fact, if you combine Obama and Hillary's pants on fire percentages and multiply that number by three, Donald Trump would still have more pants on fire lies than both of them combined. Times three. <laughs> Just so we're clear. So maybe you support Donald Trump, and that's that's fine. And I'm sure that there are good reasons to do that. But again, if somebody has to just lie to you consistently for you to support them, then there is something wrong. Okay, that's it. You've been warned. I 
I love politics. I have loved politics for as long as I can remember. Like, literally. Like, especially presidential campaigns all the way back to kindergarten. When I was in kindergarten, and this is true, I held a mock election in my house for President of the United States of America. And uh, that was 1988. That was George H.W. Bush versus Michael Dukakis. And uh, so I had this mock election, and my family voted, and I voted. Um, and then I wasn't happy with the results of the election, so I opened it up to the stuffed animals. And believe it or not, George H.W. Bush won the Jaworski household. Um, I think that my mom was horrified. She didn't know <laughs> what had happened, what had gone wrong. Um, so then flash forward, 1992, I begged to stay home so that I could watch all of Bill Clinton's first inauguration. In 2000, I stayed up all night and watched as we entered into the land of butterfly ballots and hanging chads. And then in 2008, I was checking, you know, like over 30 political blogs multiple times a day just to check in on McCain, Obama, and all throughout the primaries. It, it was intense. So anyway, all this is to say that I love politics. We got that. But it was sometime in, in the late 2000s, after Obama, I'm not quite sure when, that I found myself getting really worked up about certain candidates and, and ballot initiatives and whether they passed or failed. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that on the surface, right? I mean, passion is important. But I was taking each and every victory as a sign of democracy working. And then I was taking each and every loss as a sign that democracy was broken. And that's, that's a little counterproductive, and it's stressful and exhausting. So finally, I realized I needed to do something to change this. It's just not healthy to, to think of this that way, to, to live sort of emotionally up and down like that. So I actually made a New Year's resolution, which is strange because I, I like never do that. And I don't know where the idea came from or, or why it happened. But here's what's made a, a huge difference for me, and I hope that at least one other person finds this important. So that New Year's, I decided to remind myself that democracy isn't designed to give me what I want. That's it? That's it. I got it. I'm gone. It's simple, but it's powerful. And over the years, it's made a big difference in how I approach politics and governance and all those things. And... At the risk of over-explaining this a bit, because I'm sure people understand it, it's just easy to get caught up in the game of politics. Us versus them, winners and losers. It's a battle we wage against each other. It's ceaseless, and it's personal, and it's dirty. It's pretty clear that that's probably all true, that it, it is dirty, it is ceaseless, it is all those things. But the thing is that if democracy always worked out the way that I wanted it, then it wouldn't be a democracy. It would be some sort of monarchy or dictatorship, and that's not what we have. It's not for me. And we need to stop thinking that every loss is somehow a loss for democracy. The reality is that every election that goes by and we continue to move forward, that's a victory for democracy. That's what's supposed to happen. That's a sign that we're making this work. I mean, the fact is that some of my neighbors have different ideas on what they want than I do, and that's fine. What we share in common is the belief that we will abide by whatever we all decide. That's what democracy is. It's whatever more people want. Our neighbors aren't our adversaries after all. They're us. All progress starts with being honest about where you are. 
and an election cycle can give us some very honest feedback on where a nation stands. People have said that this U.S. election cycle is embarrassing, that it's been a travesty, that it's sad, that it's depressing. And while it may be all those things to some people, we have to also acknowledge that it is something else. It is a reflection, an honest look at where we are as a country. And if we don't like what we are seeing or the choices in front of us, then we need to do more to influence the choices next time. That's our responsibility. I voted for Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary, and he lost. But I won't complain about Bernie losing. I am not entitled for him to have won. And if I look at my contribution towards him winning, it was almost zero. I mean, what did I really do? I voted. Well, whoop the f do, Brett. Now, don't get me wrong here. I believe voting is very important. And in my vision of a perfect system, elections would be based on 100% voter turnout. Everyone makes their choice. But that choice, voting, it is the bare minimum requirement in an election. It is the participation ribbon of democracy at best. If democracy were a course in school, voting would only get you marked present. Bueller, Bueller. It is the way you act in class and the work you do that would get you an A. If I want to make a bigger difference, if I want different results, then I have to choose to do more. That is one thing I can control in a democracy, my level of participation. In less than a month, this election will be over. And some will be happy that their party won, some will be upset that their party lost. And some people weren't happy with any of the choices in the first place. And that's not new. That's how democracy has always worked. But really all democracy is, is just an agreement. Yeah, there are branches of government and laws and other things, but really democracy is an agreement we make with each other to talk, to disagree, and then to abide by the results of the election. If we stop agreeing to that basic idea, then we, we don't have anything. And Brett's right. You can't control how someone else is going to think or vote or respond to this election. But you can control how you participate in the entire process. Just remember that we're on the same team and that teammates should, at the very least, be decent to each other. And that might sound glib or overly simplistic, but if we want to see change, then we have to change first. That doesn't mean that we're not passionate about issues and topics or that we don't fight for our own causes. It just means that we watch how we conduct ourselves in the world, listen to the words we use, accept that we don't always get everything we want, and then we hold others to those same standards, especially our elected officials. Recently, an LA Times article suggested that Donald Trump's behavior toward women has, quote, framed the election as no longer about ideology but about human decency, unquote. The line of argument from Trump and his supporters is, let's focus on the real issues. But if us being decent human beings is not a real issue, then where the heck are we? I mean, if first and foremost, the most important thing is not that we're being good to each other and kind to each other, 
You know, and then after that, hey, you know, let's decide if we want to have TPP or change the gun laws, if we want to raise taxes or lower taxes. And hey, let's decide, you know, what we're going to do with our health care. But if the first thing we care about is not treating each other with respect, then I don't know where the hell we are. That's concerning to me. But take heart, America. We've been talking about decency in our politics since the beginning of our democracy. Over a hundred years ago, President Teddy Roosevelt said to a group of Harvard and Yale undergraduates, the most practical kind of politics is the politics of decency. And then just this past week, President Obama spoke of what sounds like the politics of decency to me. And so we leave you with these words and the assurance that while decency is sometimes a fight, we are fighting and we do have it in us to prevail. I met people from all walks of life on the factory floor, in classrooms. There's so much goodness in this country. There's so much decency in this country. There's so much hard work going on in this country. There's so much ingenuity going on in this country. There's so much optimism in people's day-to-day lives and so much resilience. And we've just got to give expression to that. All right, everybody, welcome to Digs. This is the part of the show where we share with you what we're listening to, what we love, what we're reading, what we're eating, anything that we're just really invested in currently, and we share it with you so you can tell us if we have good taste or not. Brett, where do you <laughs> dig in this week? Oh, is that why we do it? Yeah, I just want to be validated. Oh, now I'm nervous because <laughs> I'm not nervous. Now I feel kind of bad because no, I don't know if anyone's ever told me I have good taste. But uh, People liked last week's from me. So Yeah, you got super validated with the whole uh, I suck at cooking. Um, you suck at cooking. <laughs> you said it. All right, so my dig this week, Nick, is a podcast. Which okay, well that that is concerning because what if people leave Ooh, our show okay, right now? Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But I'm I'm gonna I'm going to come from a place of abundance and believe that people could subscribe to two, no more, but at least two <laughs> yeah, that, podcasts it. and and be okay. And interestingly, Nick, th- this you know a lot of times we do digs. It's like something we've recently discovered in the last month or two or whatever. This has been my one of my favorite podcasts for you know the last couple of years. I've just never used it because honestly, I thought everyone had heard about it. So my dig is the podcast Reply All. Um, mm. And I know you're very familiar with this. Uh, yes. It's a, a show that is kind of, quote unquote, about the internet, uh, hosted by PJ Voigt and Alex Goldman. It's on Gimlet Media. It was actually the first show that Gimlet Media put out uh, after they did their startup show, which was you know pretty famous, which was Alex Bloomberg leaving NPR to start up Gimlet Media. And, uh, you know, again, Reply All is kind of, quote unquote, a show about the internet, but really it's a show about kind of people and human stories, but there's always some sort of link to technology or the internet. And that's actually one of the things I've enjoyed about the show, I think, over the last two and a half years is as it's evolved, it's become much more of a human 
kind of interest show than an internet show, but there's always a link. And, uh, you know, the hosts do a great job. They have a segment called Yes, Yes, No, I really like, where they kind of explain random weird things on the internet. And it's just really well produced. I mean, highly produced, great storytelling, always entertaining. And it's one of those shows that, I mean, it's genuinely the podcast I listen to the most outside of ours. And I never fail to learn something and or be entertained. So my dig is the podcast Reply All. Highly, highly recommend it. And uh, what about you, Nick? What are you digging this week? Well, I just want to clarify that you listen to our show because we're making our show a lot. You don't just like listen True, on I, but to I, our show. No, no. I don't just sit around and listen to our show and go, man, this is so good. So good. <laughs> Uh, anyway, well, I'm digging this week, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen this. I saw the video had over 2 million hits uh, on YouTube, and it, it it may be obvious, and we wanted to get in the show this week, but didn't have space, but I'm digging uh, Michelle Obama's speech from last week, where she really talks about the sexual assault allegations against Donald Trump. I mean, not directly, but she just talks about a culture in which uh, women, this, this is something that is not new to women, and maybe... You know, it's Michelle Obama, so it's eloquent and emotional and amazing. I mean, uh, as Brett has pointed out, like, he, you recommended her DNC speech. Right. <laughs> uh, so I think this is going to be our first repeat uh, uh, dig person. But uh, I just think the speech is amazing. And I feel it so personally. And I'm sure that many of you do too, particularly the women. The shameful comments about our bodies the disrespect of our ambitions and intellect, the belief that you can do anything you want to a woman. It is cruel. It's, it's frightening. And the truth is, it hurts. It, it, it hurts. It's like that sick, sinking feeling. And, and as, a, as a man, um, just this, you know, ha hearing her talk about it in such terms, maybe I'm just dumb or slow to the game or, or whatever it is, but her and this whole situation has been very eye-opening for me. And I just sort of, you know, I apologize for being slow in the uptake, but also I'm very appreciative of, of just sort of what this moment is providing me and I'm sure other men as well. So that's the Michelle Obama speech. It's uh, We link all these things in our show notes, you know, if you don't, guys don't look, but if you haven't seen it or if you've only seen it once, just watch it or listen to it, and you can just ignore all the political stuff and just listen to her talk about all the cultural issues. Nick, we had a conversation about this, you know, off off air, so to speak, and um, I think we had similar experiences. I mean, I think we're, we both tend to think that we're relatively kind of in tune and try to be sensitive human beings, and yet I found myself over these last, you know, couple of weeks just really floored as I... I think just realize like what that experience is for a, a lot of women. And, you know, if there is a, you know, silver lining or, you know, kind of this idea of, you know, we're learning, you know, through some of these maybe terrible things, we're actually exposing things that need to be exposed. I feel like the, the process over the last week and a half, two weeks of, you know, bringing out some of these issues around how women are treated in our society have, has been really valuable. So, Again, I mean, I, I fully back up that dig. I think the speech is incredible. And, and I think it's really just amazing how Michelle Obama has become, you know, politics aside, I think she's become a voice for our culture and for our time. And um, yeah, I, I think she's a, a very, a very wise, astute and well-spoken woman. So I, uh, I back that up 100%. 
And, uh, you know, yeah, we're really going on a limb here. Uh, Dick and Michelle Obama. Yeah, like yeah, right, uh, right, exactly. Everyone's like, Oh, who's that? Like, whoa, who's that? Yeah. Oh, I should check her out. I bet she's really cool. Um, but yeah, so, so check that out. And, uh, as always, we say it every time, but we want to know what you're digging. Uh, we don't often hear from people, so I will continue to say, Hey, uh, you know, whatever it is for you, music, books, uh, talks, YouTube channels, let us know through Twitter, email, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear what you're liking out there too thanks first off thank you to democracy for making this week's show possible hang in there big mucho thanks and gratitude to our patreon supporters if this show fills you up and you want to help us keep it going please hop over to supportwts.com and consider a monthly contribution to the show let's do some shout outs big love and thanks to molly hungerford for her thoughtful and well-timed itunes review this week i was having a bit of a rough week and molly letting us know how wts helped her reminded us why we do what we do. She even shared that her therapist is now referring the show to his patients. Amazing. If you haven't reviewed the show on iTunes, please do. You will help others find the show, give us a great gift, and probably hear your name here next week. After our first show back, we got a lot of Twitter love from longtime listeners. Thank you, Kasaba Osvath, at Vanessa MP, Ali in BC, at Chris Gang, Jamie Edelman, Victor Kuna, Jesse Lauren, and Worthy Glover. Are you following the show on Twitter? It is at Explore WTS. And you can find us personally there at Brett Gaida and at Podcast Monster. Like us on Facebook, just search for Where There's Smoke and join our mailing list by going to wheretheresmoke.co. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Speaking of music, uh, Nick, do your thing. This week we had music from Blue Dot Sessions, The Insider, Ketza, Scott Gratton, Kai Angle, John Luke Hefferman, Blue Score Productions, and that's where the mid-90s ABC election night music came from, which really brought me back, John Philip Sousa, performed by the President's Own United States Marine Band, and of course, our friend, Kevin McLeod. Where There's Smoke is vetted, canvassed, campaigned for, caucus prepped, debated, apologized, fact-checked, voted on, inaugurated, written, and produced by Brett Gaida and Nick Jaworski. If you're interested in having me speak, train, or coach at an event within your company or organization, send an email to brett at wheretheresmoke.co. And if you have a podcast or audio project you want to sound awesome, check out Nick's company at podcastmonster.com or email him at yes at podcastmonster.com. Lastly, we leave you with this age-old wisdom to help you through and beyond this election season. But tonight I say we must move forward, not backward, upward, not forward, and always twirling, twirling, twirling towards freedom. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next show.